Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 8 in our Bibles, Matthew chapter 8. And we are working through a series I have titled Jesus Worldview. We get to see Jesus' view on all kinds of topics as we work through the book of Matthew. And I love this, man. I, I would not pick the best topics to talk about. Um, I would probably be uh, very repetitious in my topics if I was picking them. We would land on all kinds of things over and over and over again. But because of Christ, because of his word, and because of his story, and because of his gospels, we cover all kinds of stuff. Today we will cover one that just so happens to hit perfectly in our society. I don't know how the Lord does this, but he does. And I absolutely love it. And I was really excited about this sermon. Um, because again, if I pull this card out of the hat randomly, or was like, oh no. But if I just let Jesus do it, it's that much better. It's ten times better. And uh, we, I'll tell you the topic in just a second. A little cliffhanger there. The title of the message today, if you're taking notes, is Even the Waves Obey Him. Even the waves obey him. This is sermon number 38 through the book of Matthew. Heard of a story, uh, maybe you've heard of it too, this guy. He's, it's one bright Sunday, beautiful morning. And everyone in this tiny town wakes up early and goes to their local church. And this church in particular, before the service starts, the townspeople, they sit in their pews and they talk about their lives and their families, etc., and as they're sitting and talking and hanging out, fellowshipping, all of a sudden, Satan appears. True story. Everyone starts screaming and running for the front entrance, trampling each other in their effort to get away from the evil incarnate. And soon everyone is evacuated from the church except for one man calmly sitting in the pew in the front row, obvious to the fact that God's ultimate enemy is in his presence. And this confuses Satan a bit. And uh, Satan walks up to the man and says, Hey, do you know who I am? Satan says, yes. I'm sorry, the man says, yes, sure do. And Satan says, well, why aren't you afraid of me? And the man says, well, I've actually been married to your sister for 25 years. Oh, <laughs> uh, just a joke. <laughs> no one leave, please. Even the waves obey him. Today we will approach the topic of fear. Why? Because it's in our text. Being afraid. Being scared. I remember as a child being fearless. Like I was fearless. I mean, I, I would do crazy things. And I actually see it uh, a little bit in my Eden, my little girl. She has, she's very daring and, and, and will take risks, but... She also has a very cautious side to her. It's almost, it's a more of a calculated risk. My little Shep, Shepherd, he's only seven months old, and I already see him just taking risks. I mean, he just goes for it. He's like, you just can't stop him. He's excited more about the adventure than he is about calculating the risk. Even into my early 20s, I uh, thought I was fearless. I think I didn't think things could happen to me. I rode a motorcycle uh, for 10 years. I rode a Triumph Daytona. This is a super bike. It's a 1,000cc bike. It goes zero to, 30, zero to 60 seconds 
in uh, our zero to 60 miles per hour in three seconds. So I would do this over and over because it was a blast. I mean, every stop sign, I knew the speed limit was only, you know, 45 in that area, but the question was how fast could I get to 45 and then hold? And uh, I was frequently uh, riding super fast. The fastest I ever rode was 170 miles an hour. The bike topped out at about 176, but I did it on the 10 freeway at about 12 midnight, like one in the morning. The, the, the freeway's wide open. I'm like, dude, here's my chance. Bang! And I just, I, I went after it. Probably 21 at this, this point. I survived, praise God. But, um, Again, I don't know why I'm not calculating, okay? You know, um, if you didn't know, the faster you go on a motorcycle, a superbike like that, the more straight it goes. So the danger is not that you will hit a bump and fall. This is not the danger. The danger is that you won't slow down in time fast enough for when the, the turn comes, and then you'll hit the side of the wall. And so the faster you go, the straighter you go. And uh, the aerodynamics and just the way the bike is built, it's absolutely incredible. But... No joke, uh, this happened, and yes, you, you could suspect I ended up crashing my bike three times. I broke my back one time, laid in the hospital for eight days, and I didn't walk for a month. This is, in, again, in my early 20s. But I, I, I just didn't have any fear. I don't know why. I don't know where that came from. Um, but in the young men, this is what you find oftentimes. And as I get older, my fears of everything grow because I'm more aware. And I have a bit more wisdom, and I understand certain things a bit more. We used to jump off cliffs and off-road, almost like tipping our trucks over. Do we just do wild things because I thought it was fun? We are to have a healthy fear in life, but not a crippling fear. Healthy fear, but not crippling not paralyzing. If a bear approaches you, you should be scared. Because a bear has no, oh, it's cute, it's an animal just like us, they would say. It's, it's going, no, it's going to maul you. It has, it is not a teddy bear. It has no other objective than to say, oh, hi, what's your name? Oh, let me, let me just hit you over the side of the head. Accidentally knocks your head off. This is what bears do for fun. The orca, the killer whale, they don't call it the killer whale for no reason. It will grab a seal and play with it. We are to have healthy fears in life, but we are not to have crippling fears. This is important. Very important. Because the last year and a half has proven that we can easily take on an unhealthy fear that cripples and paralyzes us, and I felt it as well. What do I do? How do I navigate this? Do I have the right information? How do I understand? How do I make the right decisions? And I see it actually, family, happening again right now. I see it. I can see it happening. It's starting to happen again. What is the fear? I'll tell you. Are you ready? It's one word. The unknown. Because we don't know, we now will find ourselves in a crippling fear to which we don't know how to navigate, and then we freeze. 
The most shocking reports are coming out about now about how we have allowed fear and irrationale to cripple us and destroy us. They're just starting to come out now. And this one grabbed me. It's written five days ago. The researchers from University of Bristol, University of, New of York, University of Liverpool, University College London compared morbidity statistics from the UK's National Child Morbidity Database with Public Health England testing data between March 2020 and February 2021 in a recent report, which in its peer review process, 25 children and young people defined as people under the age of 18 died from COVID during that period, just 25. This is in England. This is what it said. The mor morbidity rate for COVID was therefore two per every million. Two kids for every million people. Meanwhile, 124 children died of suicide during the same period. Five times the number of children who had died from COVID. Five times in England. The colleges are doing these reports. Why is no one talking about it? The title of the article is Five Times More Children Died by Suicide Than Died from COVID in the UK. Why isn't this being published and why isn't it being talked about? And I want to know how many kids died in America over this time and why will no one publish this? The article goes on to say that similar worries about mental health effects of government included lockdowns that exist in the United States. CDC data indicated the number of emergency room visits for suspected suicide attempts rose by 51% among teenage girls among COVID and lawmaker policy responses. One more, learning outcomes for students have also been drastically affected by school shutdowns. Project Baltimore reports, which examines the unique challenges that confront the Baltimore area public school system, recently found that nearly half students in the city schools earned a grade point average during that time of one, under 1.0. Under 1.0! How can suicide raise 51% and no one blinks at it amongst children? This is what we're doing. We are thinking and projecting, I should say not thinking and not projecting, about the unknown. We are simply trying to work this out. We're living in great fear, thus we strap all of these extra things on everything, not exactly knowing what's going on. No one can ultimately discern, it seems and putting a one-size-fits-all on every single person, on every single situation, and what ends up happening? This. Weird to have a healthy fear, no doubt. Don't be irrational. Don't be illogical. You figure out your situation. You govern it correctly. You do what you have to do for you and your family. Please do that. I encourage you to do that. I talked this through with my dad. We spent time talking about the details of his life. There's lots of underlying conditions, lots of things that could happen to him. We talked through all the details of this. But how is my situation supposed to impact your situation? It doesn't. You have to navigate and protect your own situation. There's no way I'm letting my kids find themselves in a paralyzed state because of fear. My kids lock eyes with dad. What do they see? Son, everything is under control. The whole world is freaking out, but we're not. 
You want to know why? Because even the waves obey him. Today we watch how Jesus handles fear. Church, I hope that you can receive this. Not how Josh Thompson handles fear. I'm probably more risk adverse than many of you. I, I will take risks. I still to this day will do radical things. I don't know why. It's in my blood. I get fired up about it. Many of you are very cautious, and you should be. It's who you are. We need you. And you need me. We need each other. We need to find the balance. I love this. I'm so excited to see how Jesus handles this issue. I think you'll be shocked. Because the disciples have all the excuses. And you'll be surprised by what he says. Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 23. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand for the reading of God's word. To remember whose word it is. This ain't my words. I'm just a delivery boy. I'm the mail carrier. Just dropping off some mail. I want to know what Jesus has to say. I want to know what Jesus thinks about these things. I want to know what Jesus thinks about things outside of our control, situations outside of our control. We didn't exactly cause them. They just showed up. How do we navigate them? I want to know what Jesus has to say. Take a look at verse 23. And when he, Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. and We pray that it would minister to us. Lord, strengthen us in your word. Help us. Help us. Help us, Lord. Save now. Hosanna, Hosanna. Save now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Last week, we looked at two men who approached Jesus as he was on his way to get into the boat and cross the Sea of Galilee. Both these men were intrigued by his message and miracles, but they followed Jesus at a distance. Remember? Following at a distance. The scribe thought he would have been a great addition to Jesus' crew because he was so smart and wise. Hey, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm a professor. You probably want me on your team. I know the Bible. The second guy came to him and said, Lord, I'll follow you soon. I just got some other things to go and do first. First. I'll follow you soon. This is where our story picks up. He had told the crowds to meet him on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and he's getting into the boat with his disciples, verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. <laughs> he's sleeping. I love this for so many reasons. 
Jesus boys get on the boat with them and remember this is a giant lake okay when it says the Sea of Galilee many times you think of the ocean it's not the ocean it's a giant lake clearly no storm when they got on the boat plus guys like Peter the fisherman are on the boat Mark's gospel tells us that there are boats following them as well so they get in their boat there's a bunch of boats around them we are told Jesus goes to take a nap. Mark's gospel points out that he even had a pillow, a cushion. I like that. These little details are so good. I like a pillow when I nap, you know what I mean? Get in there. Yeah. So nice. I love that the gospels point out Jesus' humanity. He gets tired after ministry too. He needed a siesta. A little siesta in the afternoon, a little, little time to sleep. Look, guys, just let me get a little 15. Let me get a little power nap, okay? While he is sleeping, a storm sweeps in. Mark's gospel tells us it was a wind storm. The wind blew in. If you've ever been out on the ocean in a uh, deep sea fishing boat, um, it's amazing to watch the wind push the water. A lot of times we think these swells are what are doing it, and they are swells, but the swells ultimately come from storms, which ultimately comes from wind. This powerful wind pushes into the water, and you'll watch the wind. We, we go deep sea fishing down in Mexico. We go down there to catch tuna, and I remember we go for about two days, and we sleep on the boat and the whole thing, and I remember being out there sometimes early in the morning, I'm just watching. You can just watch the wind literally just dig into the water. It's almost like a hand just like picking it up and pushing it. It's incredible to watch. But when you're out there in the middle of the entire ocean, you're this little baby boat in comparison to these waves. It's amazing to think about. Mark says it was a windstorm. Picture this, the wind starts to blow. They're on the boat with Jesus. He's sleeping. There's boats around him. The clouds roll in. The water starts to get choppy. A little big and a small wave start to push into the boat. The disciples are starting to get nervous and they put the sails down before the, the wind starts to tear them apart. Maybe they pulled out the oars and started rowing a little bit just to get moving. Remember, no motors in those days. Sails, blood, sweat, and tears of rowing. The wind starts to blow harder and the rain starts to pour. The waves pick up and the boat is now starting to rock. That moment when it's starting to rock, you're like, okay, this is not a normal day on the sea. Both Gospels say the boat starts to fill with water from the waves pouring in. This is at least a three or four foot wave. The, the boats that we rode on on the Sea of Galilee when we were in Israel, they actually had a, had a taller uh, siding on them. So ultimately a five foot siding, maybe six foot siding. But you think about the size of the wave that had to come up to splash over the side. And here we are, waves are pouring in. And here they are doing everything, trying to figure out how to get to shore and survive and the waves are getting bigger and bigger and the boat is filling with more and more water they're grabbing buckets and they're trying to start doing this and roll harder come on we got to get going the moment comes they've been doing this for maybe 20 30 minutes and they start looking at each other in fear that look peter you uh you know what to do right now but you're the fisherman. I, I know. I die. Uh, we're in trouble. I don't know what to do. They, they start freaking out, like, "Oh no!" 
One of the disciples says, go wake Jesus. The Lord was getting his full siesta still. He wasn't going to let some storm stop him. They went, verse 25, and woke him saying, save us, Lord. We are perishing. He said to them, why are you afraid? Looks like multiple guys went to wake Jesus, maybe all of them. The text says the word they. Do you see that in the text? They. They all went down. I don't know, seven, eight, or all 12. I don't know who's there. They all went down. They're looking at Jesus like, you going to wake him? You want me to wake him? Who's going to wake him? Jesus yawning, rubbing his eyes, looking at his disciples, and the guy yells in his face, save us, Lord, we're perishing. And the Lord looks at them, still got a little sleep in his eye. Why are you afraid? Why are you in fear? Then, O oh, you of little faith, says, you guys, you, you still have little faith. Jesus gets up and says to one of the guys, hold my pillow. Don't let it get wet. And the disciples stood by and watched him walk out on the boat and stand in the middle of the storm. Maybe walks out to the front of the boat. Standing there in the middle of the storm, six foot waves coming, the wind blowing. Watched him in the middle of chaos. No fear. In perfect peace. In full control. Verse 26, then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Man, I would have loved to hear Jesus rebuke the wind. The waves and the sea, did he yell or whisper? Was it super holy or casual? Storm! In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, be still. Or was it, hey waves, uh, wind, would you guys relax? Just, just settle down. Thank you. And boom. The text says, as soon as he rebuked the wind and the sea, there was a great calm. The clouds blew away. The wind stopped. The water became glass, smooth. And the boat ceased rocking. And the disciples stood by in awe, shocked. And then they marveled, saying, verse 27, what sort of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this? When I read that, that a great calm came, it reminds me for some reason of the Red Sea being parted. One of my favorite details in the Red Sea being parted is it says, I don't know if you've been to the Red Sea, but this is a massive, massive body of water. You can scuba dive in it, has an amazing coral reef. 
We went and stayed on the uh, Red Sea when I was young uh, in Dahab in Egypt and uh, got to really experience it. And it's massive. And one of the details I love in the story of the Red Sea is it says that God parted the waters and they walked on dry ground. Did you hear that? Dry ground. One of the other details that comes to mind is Elijah. When he's standing on the Mount of Carmel, the battle of the gods, and they say, let's build an offering and we'll see whose God responds. And he says, build an altar. Okay, they build one, sacrifice an animal, put wood on there. Then he says, hey, pour water, build a moat around it, build water, uh, pour water all over this thing, pour water, pour more water, more, more water, more water. We'll see whose God answers by fire. Let's go, gods of Baal. Baal, where are you? Are you sitting on the toilet? Where are you? He mocks them, literally says that in the text. They start cutting themselves, bleeding, these pagan worshipers cutting themselves, trying to get their God to respond. No answer. Elijah says, stand back. He calls on Yahweh. And God shows up. And it says the fire comes down and licks the water up off the ground, the stones and the wood. Everything is consumed by fire. Dry ground. I love these pictures because of the drastic description, a great calm shows up. Can we insert the word great calm anywhere in the, in the last year and a half? Great calm? It should be in the heart of the believer. I have four points for you today as we reflect on the story and import its truth and application into this day and age. Number one, the Lord was asleep and at peace in the storm. We forget all the time that God's not a warrior. He is a warrior, but he is not a warrior. He never worries. But Lord, look what's happening on the earth. I know. I have everything under control. I've got the whole world in my hands. Don't you remember seeing that as a little kid? But you stop believing that. When the storms of your life break out, you need to know God is in perfect peace. He's not worried. He's not anxious. John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have told you all of this that you may know that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, he says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. The way Christians have acted during this last year and a half troubles me. We act like the world. We act like we don't have a God. We act like Jesus isn't on the boat. Point number two, why are you afraid when Jesus is in the boat? I'm not sure what boat of life you are on right now, but you need to know that if you are a Christian, Jesus is on the boat with you, and he is not afraid. He is not in fear. He's got everything under control. How can we live in fear when Jesus is sailing on our boat through the storm? Hey, if you don't have Jesus on your boat, like all those other boats, <laughs> I'd be scared too. But I have to trust and rely. We'd have to then trust and rely on me to figure it out. 
The waves are big and there are some waves I can't make it through. But there is no wave or storm Jesus can't make it through. I should point this out. He is not on my boat. I am on his boat. And he will make it to shore. Praise God. Why are we afraid? Why are you afraid? Why are you living in fear? This world has plagued, this world has been plagued with this last year and a half. And can you believe it's still going on? Everyone living in fear. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? The storm? The waves? They're big though. Haven't you seen the waves? Haven't you watched the news? They're big. The wind? The sinking boat? What are we scared of? These are very practical, real things that we could all die from. Scared to die. Scared you won't make it through the storm. We will all die one day and check this out. No one here determines when that day is. God does. He says the day you will be born and he says the day you will step into eternity. No one dies early. No one dies late. You are born in God's timing. Life begins and ends on God's watch. Now I understand the world doesn't believe in God or the Lord Jesus, so they think we can extend life beyond God's timing. But we Christians, we know naked I came into the world and naked I will go. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gave me life and He can take it anytime He wants to. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is what Jesus is saying. Why are you afraid? I'm on the boat. I want to clarify something that's super important that really only you can determine. Only you. You are the only one who can determine this. No one else can determine this for you. When the storm of life comes, are you living in a healthy fear or an unhealthy fear? Logical fear or irrational fear? When the storm came on the disciples, the healthy fear was realizing the power of the waves and the wind. Every time I go out and do a big swell, I'll never forget, I surfed uh, Ventura, C Street, California Street, um, when the big swell showed up just about, I don't know, five, six months ago. These were the biggest waves I'd ever been in in my life. 15, 20 foot waves. And that when you lay on the ground, 15, it's like basically feels like it's as, as, as high as this beam here. And you're laying on the ground and paddling into the mountain. And it's moving and it's coming at you fast. And uh, we never stopped paddling. I remember a couple times just like, man, this is big. You've got to respect the water. You need to respect the waves. You need to be in fear. You need to know the power of it so that you would react correctly and think clearly and do the right thing. Well, that day, a guy went out. He had, a, he had even had a helmet on. And uh, he went out by himself and he lost his board. And uh, about an hour and a half later, we were standing there on the beach watching surfers drag him in. And the ambulance showed up and they did CPR on him and he died in the water that day. I've never seen anyone drown. That was the first time ever. We would have a healthy fear of these things, a logical fear. But where it gets unhealthy and irrational is when they forget the one who made the wind and the sea and the one who is on the boat with them. I would not let any of you go out in the water with me at a 15, 20 foot day. If you don't know how to surf or you don't know how to swim strong, you don't know anything about the water, you're not going out. There's no way. 
But if you know what you're doing, you can easily navigate the water and get out of the way of the waves. You know how to take a hit on the head, stay underwater, stay calm, take your time, and then come up for a breath, wait for the next one. You remain calm through the whole thing. You have a floating device strapped to your ankle. They did all that they could, and that's what we should think about with the disciples. Healthy fear, here it is. They did all that they could to fix the boat, stop it from sinking. There was no need to freak out. They did the right things. The next step was to simply trust in the Lord and be at rest. They did what they could. They did what they thought was logical. They did what made sense for them in their situation. Listen, I don't know what you have had to work through with family or friends or your job, people in the church, people in the city, with all that has gone on the past year and a half. COVID, race wars, political wars, now vaccines. But you need to ask yourself this, is, healthy, is this healthy fear or unhealthy fear? Is this logical fear or rational fear for you? You don't get to determine this for anyone else ever. I know my situation, I know my dad's situation, and I'm going to navigate that. I am not going to let you tell me how to navigate my dad's situation. Do you know my dad's situation? Oh, you don't. Then I will help him navigate it. Would you like me to navigate your situation? Oh, you don't like that. Then stop navigating my situation. If people want to live in unhealthy fear, continue on doing that. But you don't get to do that and push that on other people. If you want to live in healthy fear, you do that. If you're trying to help a friend, that's fine. But if they don't want it, let them do what they want. Govern yourself. Everyone needs to make the best decision for themselves and let everyone else do the same, then be at rest. We got one guy, one disciple who's under, he's actually hiding in the corner with Jesus. He's looking, he sees Jesus. They're sleeping, but he's hiding under the boat. We got another disciple like Peter. He's on the front end. He, he's, he's the one with the bucket throwing water out, doing everything he can, trying to put the sails away. Because experience, he knows what he's doing. He wants to get in there and do that. Are either at fault? No, they're both trying to figure out their situation. And where they both fail is that they don't trust the Lord and give it to him and be at rest after they have done everything they can Logically, Jesus would say to the church, why are you afraid? Is this storm too big? Give these things to the Lord and be at rest. He is the Lord and he is Lord enough to handle all of your family and all of your life. And he is asleep on the boat in peace. When the storm shows up, he is not anxious. Why are you afraid when Jesus is on the boat? John Foreman wrote this song. It's in one of his new songs, and I, I play it so much. I absolutely love this song. It's, he, he turns Psalm 23 into a psalm, but it's kind of a new rendition. And this is where my son's name comes from, Shepherd. It reminds me of God. It reminds me of my call and duty, but it also reminds me of who God is. Here it is. God is my shepherd. I won't be wanting I won't be wanting. He makes me rest in fields of green with quiet streams. Even though I walk through the valley of death and dying, I will not fear. Why? 
because he's my shepherd. He's on the boat, he writes, because you are with me, because you are with me. Your shepherd's staff comforts me. You are my feast in the presence of enemies. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Follow me in the house of God forever. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, Jesus says. My peace I give to you. Here you go. I do not give to you as the world gives. What peace has the world brought? Their answers change on the weekly. And it drives me absolutely insane. So don't listen to him anymore. I listen to this. And then I stay in perfect peace. I do not give as the world gives, Jesus says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Did you hear that? Amen. Thank you, baby. Listen, do not let your heart be troubled. Whose heart are you responsible for? Yours. You do not let your heart be troubled. You make the best decisions for your family and your situation, and no one needs to be hammering each other in the church. It's not going to happen in this place. Respect and honor one another. Outdo one another in honor. Respect their situation. You don't know. You don't know what they're working through. And then Jesus says right there, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. He says it again. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be consistent in prayer. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. I know. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Point number three, little or big faith. Point number three, little or big faith. Jesus said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? He called them out on their little faith. Little. Little baby faith. What were they believing? Little in. Him. Their faith in him was small, and that's why they were afraid. If their faith in him was great, they would have not been afraid. Our fear, watch this family, is directly connected to our faith. Faith can't exist while being overwhelmed by fear. In those moments, there is no belief in God that he is sovereign, that he is in control. If there was belief, there would be no fear. I want you to turn to Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. Pastor Josh, you're calling us to do something radical. This, I don't know if this is wise. I don't know if this is good. Are you ready? I want you to see what God called people to do for thousands of years through the Bible. We think we're in some magical time. I want you to see what storms these people were placed in and how they chose to believe beyond what the world was saying beyond what fear would say to them. They believed they were on God's boat and that he was in control. Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read through this quickly, and I'll stop and point out some things along the way. But just, just if you want to just listen, just let it wash over you. If you want to read through it with me, you can. You can take a look at the text. 
I dare you to soak this in. Watch these people. Hebrews 11, verse 6. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to, be, wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith, verse 7, that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about the things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and received the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah, crazy Noah, built an ark over, it took him a hundred years to build. What are you doing, Noah? Working on my ark. Have you been working on it for like 70 years? What's wrong with you, dude? You're crazy. You are crazy. Noah says no. He stood in the midst of his generation, a wicked generation who mocked him. He says, I fear God above this earth and this world. I don't care what man thinks. I'm going to obey God, and I'm, my life is in his hands. He built an ark, and a flood actually showed up. It was by faith, verse 8, that Abraham obeyed God when he called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He, Abraham, went without knowing where he was going. He didn't know where he was going. Leave your home. Leave everything and just go. Where? Just go. And I will lead you. What? He says, trust me. This takes faith. He, when he reached the land of God, God promised him, verse 9, he lived there by faith, for he was a, like a foreigner living in tents, and so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Abraham was like, I don't care about this world. I'm looking for a city whose maker and builder is God. His eyes were on heaven. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and too old. She didn't have kids until she was, I believe, 90, and Abraham was 100 years old, her first child at 90 years old. You sure, Sarah, you're going to have a kid? Are you sure? You're coming up on 87 right now. Are you sure? So God said, talk about faith. Verse 13, all these people... I should read verse 12. And the whole nation came from this one man who is as good as dead, a nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them through Isaac, Abraham's son, Sarah's boy. All these people died still believing what God had promised. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on the earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they would have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly home. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Verse 17, it was by faith Abraham offered his son Isaac, his only son, as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Talk about a storm. Are you sure, God? Abraham, who had received God's promise, was all was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him Isaac is a son through whom your descendants will be counted. I want you to take your son, put him on the altar, and kill him. 
even though I promised you that this is the boy that will bring forth as many descendants as the sand on the seashore. God, are you sure? Trust me, believe in me. I'm in this storm. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, verse 19, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead, resurrection. Skip down to verse 23. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. What? You're going to disobey Pharaoh in a dictatorship? Are you nuts? It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. He didn't fear. He didn't care. He was doing things that would have cost him his life. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and sprinkle blood on the doorpost so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. But if somebody showed up to your door and said, hey, I know this is crazy, you better kill an animal, take the blood, and then sprinkle it on your front door. Yeah, get it on your doorknob, get it, get it on the door knocker, get it on your nest cam, okay? Get it, get it on every your ring, you know, get it on everything, okay? And then tonight, when the angel of death comes through this neighborhood, your kids won't die. Okay, you're you're out of your mind. You're crazy. It was by faith that the people of the Red Sea went through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. Praise God. And when the Egyptians tried to follow them, they were all drowned. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho, the most solid structure and castle built in that time. For seven days and the walls came crashing down. God said, hey, put your swords away. I just want you to go march around this thing seven times and blow your instruments, play your guitar, dance and sing, and the whole thing's going to fall. Uh, God, this is not wise. Are you sure? Are you absolutely sure? Yeah, go into battle. Go. They're the most vicious army on the planet. I know. Get, get going. Talk about a storm. It was Rahab, the prostitute. That's who God used. Was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies of God's people. Verse 32, author of Hebrews, we believe Paul, goes on to say, How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith, of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire. They escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from the dead, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison, 
Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. And others were killed by the sword. Some went out wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Because of their faith. Is Jesus in the boat with us or not? All of these people believe that God was in the boat with them, and that's why they willingly went into the fire. They willingly went into the lion's den. They willingly went into battle. They willingly laid everything on the line. They left their home. They went and pursued God instead of all their pleasures. They said, I'm not going to be a part of Pharaoh's house. But don't you want all the gold? Don't you want all the stuff? No. I don't want it. I want God. But don't you want the approval of society? Everybody else is doing this. They're going to pat you on the back. No, no, I want truth. And I want what God thinks. I'm not going to live in fear like everybody else. I will be cautious. But I will not be crippled by fear. Sometimes when I look around at God's people in this day and age, so many are afraid of the storms. And Jesus would say, why so little faith? Why so little faith? You're on the boat with the Lord. We have work to do regardless of what everyone else is doing. We know our calling. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race. You're not part of this world. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you would not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. So let's get on living like it. Finally, even the waves obey him. Even the waves obey him. Even the storm obeys his voice. This statement shows Jesus' great power, authority, and sovereignty. It was the aha moment for his disciples. They're standing there on the boat. Jesus is on the edge of the boat. He's just looking out. They're just looking at him like, who is this guy? Who is this? Who is this guy who speaks with authority? The Sermon on the Mount. Who is this guy who heals the sick? He touches a leper, a Roman soldier, and an old woman. Who does this? Who turns the scribe away? Who gets into a boat and even the waves and the wind and the sea obeys him. He's not just a man. He is the God-man, the Son of God, the Messiah. Before Jesus calmed the storm, they were those of little faith. After he calmed the storm, their faith grew again. Could it be that storms are sent to build faith, family? Let me ask you this. Here it is, the kicker. Who sent the storm? Could it be that Jesus is like, Father, activate storm. <laughs> and then he goes to sleep. It's time to clean out the church. It's time to separate followers from disciples. Let's challenge them at the highest level and see. See what happens. Remember those TV spots? Boo! 
This is only a test. Disciples look back on it and say, what were we thinking? It's the Lord. And here I am wasting away life in panic. Let me ask you this, who sent the storm? The same voice who commands the storm to cease is the same voice that commands the storm to start. Why? James 1, 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face and meet trials of various kinds. Do you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness? Let, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously, and it will be given. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. James is writing this, the brother of Jesus who was probably on the boat. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. This describes our society over the last year. Double-minded, unstable. The excuses are, yeah, but we didn't know what was happening politically. We didn't know what to do about the race wars. We didn't know what to do about COVID. Yes, the storms come outside of our control. We didn't create them. They're outside of our control. But it is our job to respond correctly and then walk with God. Be at rest, not in fear, as if Jesus isn't on the boats because even the waves obey him. This is only a test. These storms are only a test. 2 Timothy 1.7, are you ready? For God has not given us a spirit of what? That is not the spirit in the Christian, but of power and love and a sound mind. You can't control the storm. And that's the best part. Only God can, so you have to rely on Him. What's going to happen this fall? I don't know. You know what I'm going to keep doing? I'm just going to keep preaching. Keep worshiping. I'm going to keep making disciples. I'm going to keep loving God, keep loving people. I'm going to make the best decision for my family. I'm going to keep moving forward. He brings a great calm, the text says. I want to close on that. He brings a great calm. Not a little calm, it's a great one. It's a big one. He alone brings the great calm in our lives. He alone can do it. Not you. You've already had your chance to bring a great calm. You can't do it, huh? No matter how many pieces I move, no matter how much I do, no matter how much I build barricades, I can't do it. I need him to bring peace and to help me navigate one day at a time. Pastor, you've been a little ambiguous. Why don't you give us more clarity, more clear answers? Because I want you to pray and seek God for yourself and figure out what he is calling you to do. God loves you. He loves us. He loves his people. He loves his guys on the boat. He loves them. He wants the best for us. He's not going to leave you in the storm. You need to go grab a pillow. Get on the couch with Jesus and just 
the arrest. He's got it under control. Amen? We're going to pray. We'll, uh, we'll do this a bit faster than we normally do, but we'll just spend about five, seven minutes in communion here. You know, uh, and so we're going to pray and turn our hearts to the Lord. Let's pray now. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace in our lives. Lord, we got to stop now and individually analyze our own hearts and our own minds. And we just ask, Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us the places where we don't trust you? We have a hard time believing the best. We're guilty of being in fear, not healthy fear, and it's messing with our minds and our hearts and our relationships and our friendships and our families. And Lord, we pray that we'd be different from the rest of the world. We recognize we're sinners. We're sinful. This is what plagues us. You've overcome our sin. You've overcome the world. Reflect on your gospel and your message. <coughs> and Father, we pray now. While our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and we're praying, Lord, we turn to you with all of our hearts. We confess you as Lord and Savior. We confess our lives as being on your boat. And choosing to sail through the storms with you. We choose to repent from worshiping the world and listening to the ways of the world. Ever-changing ideas tossed to and fro that make no sense. Oh God, give us wisdom. Help us to be led by you. We turn our lives over to you now. We commit ourselves to you. We do it with all of our hearts. We ask you to bless this time as we reflect on you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.